So the fewer foods that you eat, your microbiome diversity goes down, that affects your immune system, and then you just become more reactive. And then next thing you know, instead of only being able to eat five foods, now you're down to four. Are you struggling with bloating, gas, constipation, and fatigue, but don't know what's causing these problems? The Gut Health Reset Podcast with Dr. Anne-Marie Barter dives deep into the root causes behind these issues that start in the gut. This podcast will give you the knowledge you need to heal your gut and reset your health. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Gut Health Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. And today I have a very special guest. Her name is Alexis Appleberry, and she is actually a part of the practice. And when interviewing nutritionists, she really stood out. She just really knows her stuff. And the reason for that is she not only has a certification as being a certified functional diagnostic nutrition provider, which is basically a functional um, nutritionist, but she also has incredible training for over 10 years from Datis Karazian, who has really pioneered a lot of the food sensitivity, a lot of the gut health, and he is a Harvard Research Fellow. So her additional training came from that, as well as her passion to help people because she had her own struggle. And I'll let her tell you specifically about that. But Alexis is amazing. And I think at the end of this episode, if you feel like, hey, I've got these things that she's talking about. I'm going to encourage you to head over to our practice website, which I really never talk about on the podcast, which is altaltfammedmed.com. And it's short for Alternative Family Medicine. And I'm just going to have you book a consultation with her because I think that she can get to the root cause of your symptoms. And her and I work very closely together. Um, So, anyway, Reach out, you know, email if you guys have any questions. We always thank you for uh, listening and we're just so grateful for you guys. And I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Hey, Alexis, it's so great to have you on the show. So I think it's going to be a super fun episode today. And I think the listeners are really going to like what we have to say. So I want to dive into how you got into functional medicine because it's a passion of yours and the passion just radiates out of you. Um, and so what, what brought you into doing functional medicine? Well, I had a background in conventional medicine, but, you know, I started working for this functional medicine company and, you know, the information was so spot on that it was like a light bulb went on. And I was like, this is the truth. So as soon as I started getting into functional medicine, it was like, I couldn't look back. So I started going to all of the seminars and, um, you know, at that point, you know, I, I basically just couldn't stop learning because I couldn't soak up enough information. And I was just so passionate about that. I just wanted to continue learning so that I could help others and really bring the truth to medicine, what I believe the truth to medicine is to them. Absolutely. Do you want to talk briefly about your own personal health journey at all? Yeah, actually, um, my own personal health journey, you know, I had some really terrible food sensitivities. So I was getting migraines and I couldn't figure out where they were coming from. And it was getting to the point where I was really affecting my job performance. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't think straight. 
And finally, my peers, my functional medicine peers suggested to me that I might go gluten-free. And I kind of went down kicking and screaming. Like I did not want that to be the issue. But once I started removing gluten and balanced out my blood sugar, it really did change my life. So, I mean, gluten can really have some severe effects on the brain. And a lot of people think that their first symptom might be stomach related or digestive related, but actually more often than not, it's usually brain related. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, it's so interesting because when you talk about, you start to talk about gluten and food sensitivities, you know, folks will be like, no, 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 I just have, you know, I just have an Achilles problem. I just have this inflammation in my joint that has to be structure related. My migraine has to be structure related because Mm -hmm. it hurts. So address that piece. And so we've been conditioned to think about it that way versus maybe looking internally to what could be causing the inflammation on the outside. It's like we've been programmed to only look at it a certain way. And so coming out of that box is tough, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, food sensitivities can manifest into anything. You know, if you think you might have a food sensitivity, I mean, it could be brain fog. It could be headaches. It could be um, that you're extremely tired. It could be your change of mood. You could just be really irritable. So there can be psychoneuroimmune effects from a food sensitivity. You could have aches and pains. You could get a skin rash, you know, and then the digestive issues as well, you know, constipation, diarrhea. I mean, it really does run the gamut. Mm-hmm. It could be everything. So, you know, I could just, you know, hear a lot of people listening and they're like, well, how do I know if I have a food sensitivity because I don't have all those issues you listed. I don't have all of them. And I feel like we we're like an all or nothing type of society. Well, I don't have fatigue. I mean, I do have some diarrhea, but I don't have those other things. So how do, how can we tell if we have a food sensitivity? Well, You know, if you're wondering if you have a food sensitivity, you probably have some symptoms that you can't relate to something else. So the only way that you're really going to know if you have a food sensitivity is a food elimination diet, which is why so many practitioners do them. So you want to remove the food for about two weeks, then you want to reintroduce it for a couple of days, eat it a couple of times that day. And then if your symptom comes back, you know, that's the culprit. The other way that you can see if you have a food sensitivity is to have a food sensitivity test. Um, I will say that not all food sensitivity tests are created equal, but if you do take a good one, and we can get into more of that later, but if you get the testing done, then you can see what you're highly reactive to. And then you also might have some moderate reactivities too as well. And then depending on whether or not you are reactive to multiple foods, then we really have an immune problem. But those are the two ways that you can really find out whether or not you have a food sensitivity. Um, I, you bring up a good point that they're not all created equal. What do you mm-hmm. mean by that? Well, um, the first thing that a lot of people don't realize is that every other lab besides Cyrex, and yes, I'm going to give them a plug here. Mm-hmm. Um, they only test raw foods because they all get their food samples from the same source. So Cyrex makes its own food samples. They actually put them through dialysis so they're completely pure and they test both raw and cooked foods. So I don't know about you, but I don't eat raw bacon. 
And if somebody comes back <laughs> negative for eggs and they're eating cooked eggs, they're completely missing the boat on that. Mm-hmm. The other thing that Cyrex does is they test both IgA and IgG immunoglobulins. And it's important to catch both of those. So um, when I do food sensitivity testing, I do Cyrex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what, what is really the major difference between a food sensitivity and a food allergy? Because I think that this gets really confused often. You know, someone will say, hey, I went to an allergist. I had the test on my skin and I don't have an allergy to anything. So it's not the foods that I'm eating. There's been a pretty big, I think, jump or correlation there. So mm-hmm. what's the difference? So the difference is that an allergy. So remember when I was talking about the immunoglobulin. So you have immunoglobulin, IgE, you have IgG, IgA, IgM, and IgD. IgE is an allergy. That is something that you're going to notice immediately. It's a different part of the immune system that reacts immediately. And you're going to get histamine symptoms, such as like swelling lips or your throat swells up, or you get a skin rash or wheezing or coughing or, you know, um, you know, runny nose or, you know, watery eyes, those types of symptoms. That's an allergy. A food sensitivity triggers a different part of the immune system, which is going to be um, IgG or IgA. And that's going to be more of a delayed response. So it takes, it can take a few hours, but up to 24 to 48 hours for you to get a symptom from a food sensitivity, which is why it can be hard to pin down sometimes why people don't relate it to their food. Mm-hmm. And do you believe that a food sensitivity can be cured, that you could not have those anymore? Um, in, in some cases, mm-hmm. in some cases. Now, when it, when it comes to gluten, you have a food sensitivity to gluten just because it's so darn inflammatory and it's so foreign to our body. If somebody has a sensitivity to gluten, I just usually say it's game over. <laughs> but there's so many great options now these days, you know, mm-hmm. but um, now if somebody has, you know, multiple food polyreactivity, which means they are reacting to multiple, multiple foods. I'm sure like you and I both encounter people that say like, I can only eat five foods. Yeah. That's an immune problem mm-hmm. that can be resolved. It, it takes time, but it's the immune system. The immune system is hyper overzealous. It's, it's, it's attacking everything. Mm-hmm. So when you say polyreactive, because I think that that's going to go over a lot of people's heads. So when you run a, for example, a food sensitivity test, you're going to be reacting to nine out of the 10 foods, correct? Is that how, how it appears? Or maybe you can have rice, um, but nothing else or, or, or dairy, but nothing else. It's, but you're yeah, correct. Is that how, what sure. you're seeing? Well, on yeah. the testing? Poly, poly means many. Mm-hmm. So you're reacting to 20 foods or more. Mm-hmm. Then, then we know that you're, you have polyreactivity, that you really have an, an immune problem. So because you could just have food sensitivities from, say, maybe you have leaky gut or you're just not digesting them properly. You know, there, there could be, you know, a number of reasons. Maybe you're low on secretory IgA, um, which is an immunoglobulin that'll, it helps regulate that. So, yeah, when you're reacting to, you know, lots and lots of different foods, and usually these people know. Mm-hmm. Because they're eating five foods, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. 
And if they don't eat those five foods, what happens to these people? When you reduce all the foods that you're eating, right, your microbiome diversity, which means the microbes that are in your gut, they're produced from the types of foods that you eat. So the fewer foods that you eat, your microbiome diversity goes down, that affects your immune system, and then you just become more reactive. And then next thing you know, instead of only being able to eat five foods, now you're down to four, <laughs> then you're down to three. So the way that you fix that is that you have to support the immune system. Um, and there's a number of different things that we can look at. So um, something that a lot of people don't consider is that, you know, it could be detoxification related because there's cook for cells, there's immune cells in the liver. So if you don't have good biotransformation, that could be a cause of food sensitivities. So we want to support the liver. You want to make sure that you support the T regulatory cells, which is the key to balancing out your immune system. Mm -hmm. And by that, you want to be using, you know, vitamin D, um, glutathione. Um, but another one, um, that's really important to use a short chain fatty acids that'll support T regulatory cells, but the short chain fatty acids will also help create microbiome diversity because there's, there's a symbiotic relationship between the microbes in your gut and the short chain fatty acids that they off put that's their poop, <laughs> you know, you know, no other way to really say that. So the short chain fatty acids are really important in doing that. And then using vitamin A, to support secretory IgA because a lot of people are low in SIG A in their gut. And the secretory IgA, what it does is it, it envelops any antigens in your gut and it kind of carries them out of the system. So, and then that puts too much of a load on the dendritic cells. So um, I could go into too much detail here, but, but anyway, but the dendritic cells are, are, are what uh, react to foods in your immune system. And if they don't have the low taken off them, they just get overzealous and they get crazy. Mm -hmm. And then you end up with polyreactivity. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of great information. So I want to just go back um, to somebody that says, hey, I, I can only eat five foods, but I'm really feeling super stressed out on my diet. I don't feel good. I don't feel good ever. Um, but if I eat anything else, I, you know, I don't feel great. So there's been some, some kind of conflict in how long we eliminate foods for, et cetera, when you have a very limited diet. Do you believe on being a, on a highly restrictive, limited diet long-term? No. And the reason for that is because, again, we're, we're reducing the microbiome diversity, which is just causing more of the problem. So, but that's a very good point that you brought up, though, is that you, what you want to do is, what I do is I do a food sensitivity test so that I can see which foods they're highly reactive to. I remove those foods. The ones that they're moderately reactive to, I have them rotate those foods. So in other words, don't eat that same food two or three days in a row, but still eat the food, eat small amounts of it. And then if they, you know, and then support the immune system at the same time. The other thing that you can do is what I call a, a veggie mash. So to help create some microbiome diversity is you have them take five vegetables, not meats, because it doesn't work that way. Your, your microbes feed off the fiber 
So five vegetables that you don't normally eat because you don't have the microbes for those. And you put them in a blender. You can add coconut milk to it. If you have a um, powder that has monk fruit in it to sweeten it, maybe a little bit of fruit, you blend it up and you drink about a quarter cup of that every day. And then the next week you do the same thing over again. And then you switch up the five vegetables and that will help create some diversity. That's one of the coolest things. I mean, we were talking about this previously, but I think that that's one of the coolest tips to incorporate other foods into your diet that you don't normally eat. Because I think that people get this panic in the kitchen. It kind of seems counterintuitive, right? Yeah. This almost is panic in the kitchen. Like, well, I don't know how to cook that vegetable. I don't know what to do with that. I, you know, and it's like, we kind of are creatures of habit, not kind of, we are creatures of habit and we continually go back to those same recipes. And and that doesn't really diversify our gut because it's already being fed those things. Right. And that's why sometimes I just suggest the veggie mash because people don't like to eat those vegetables. I'm not going to expect that they're going to cook them up and put them on their plate. Mm -hmm. You know, they they may, but this is just kind of a a quick way to just kind of, you know, choke it down and, uh, you know, get it in your system. We, we talked about the elimination diet and we also talked about, um, the Cyrex food sensitivity testing or having a good food sensitivity test. Um, which one do you prefer do you have like a an order that you like to do that in? Do you run a food sensitivity? Do you have a conversation with that patient or um, or do you prefer the food sensitivity test? I don't know if I said elimination, food sensitivity or conversation. Right. Well, it depends on whether or not they want to do the food elimination diet. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that really is the, the gold standard because there can be you know, I don't want to get too technical, but there can be some foods that are very similar in protein structure that there can be some false positives. Um, but yeah, really the food elimination diet is the gold standard, but sometimes people don't want to do that. And if they don't want to go through the trouble of doing the food elimination diet, then I'll run the food sensitivity test. Or if they really do, you know, have polyreactivity and they're reacting to lots and lots of different foods, then, then I'm probably going to be more apt to run the test because I'm going to want to nail it down. Mm-hmm. To figure to out which, what's going on. Well, to see which ones they're highly reactive to as opposed to moderately reactive. So I know which ones I can rotate. Or maybe if the, yeah, polyreactive uh, food elimination diet did not work. Correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Um, so the main reason that people have more food food sensitivities than maybe others, you know, is because of the polyreactivity or can other things create more food sensitivities in certain people? Sure. Um, leaky gut. You know, if you have leaky gut, then those those tight junctions in your gut, you know, now, now everything is getting into your immune system. And so your immune, the, the broken down, um, Particles of food are not supposed to be there. So your immune system is going to react to it. Another reason is that they're just don't, they just don't have enough digestive enzymes. So if they're not breaking down their food properly, again, the immune system, you know, doesn't recognize it because those particles are supposed to be broken down into peptides. So that that's an, that's another reason. Um, and you all microbiome, you know, lack of microbiome diversity. So, you know, just eating the same foods over and over again, inflammation in the gut, you know, not, you know, not eating a good diet. Those can be some other reasons why you might have food sensitivities. Okay. So when we say it's, 
I don't know about you, but the number one thing that I hear, someone will come in, they'll have a gut issue. I have leaky gut. I, I, I know I have leaky gut. I've been listening to podcasts. I, I've got leaky gut. What do we do to treat the leaky gut? What percentage of the folks that you see have leaky gut? <laughs> Say 90, 95%. And it's, it's just because, you know, most people, well, because your immune system starts in your gut. So, I mean, 80% of your immune system is in your gut. So a lot of these symptoms can stem from that. And, you know, we're, we're surrounded by a lot of toxins, inflammatory foods. Um, so it's, it's, it's pretty prevalent. The other thing that I see um, when someone says, I'm taking digestive enzymes, you know, that was your second point. And I'm like, okay. And I look at it and it's HCL, which is definitely a portion of it. But there are other digestive enzymes that are helpful so what are those additional things? And you mentioned, you mentioned one of them earlier. Pancreatic enzymes are, are really important. And then bile from the, from the gallbladder as well. Exactly. So yes, all those things play a part, you know, because you, you, you need to have enough uh, hydrochloric acid in your stomach in order to trigger, you know, or no, I'm sorry, it's the other way around. You need to have enough bile from your gallbladder in order to trigger HCL. So sometimes, sometimes it can be both. So we need the bile for the stomach acid as well as to digest the fats, correct? Yeah. And, and why do we need the pancreatic enzymes? Pancreatic enzymes are to digest the carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm not eating, but I'm not eating, you know, um, tortillas. And so what other things have carbohydrates in them? Like fruits and wow. vegetables, right? Right. Yeah. You know, okay. you know, I mean, fruit, fruits, vegetables, you know, grains are, you know, are, are all carbohydrates. And that's, that's actually a good point that you brought that up because what happens is that, you know, a lot of people go on a gluten-free diet and then they start to remove all the grains from their diet. And then in turn, they start to become sensitive to other foods because They've removed a lot of their sources of short-chain fatty acids from their diet because they're not digesting grains anymore. So what I'll do is I'll have them add in a short-chain fatty acid supplement um, if they're not, you know, consuming enough, you know, fruits and vegetables. Yes. And you've brought up short-chain fatty acids. So um, I can I can hear the questions like, should I just take a fish oil supplement? <laughs> Right. Okay. So short-chain fatty acids. So probably the most prevalent one that you'll see is butyrate. So people have probably, you know, seen butyrate supplements, but I prefer to use a short-chain fatty acid supplement that has butyrate, propanate, and acetate, because that's what your body makes naturally. So I try to use all three. And basically what short-chain fatty acids are is that when you eat fiber, you eat vegetables, your microbes digest and they break them down. And then their offshoot is the short chain fatty acids, but the short chain fatty acids, you know, are really important for a lot of processes in our body. I mean, they really support our immune system. They support the T regulatory cells and they also help create microbiome diversity. There's actually a lot of different processes that they're really important for. So, you know, if you, if you, you don't, consume enough fruits and vegetables or grains, you know, you're really probably lacking that because they're, they're also really important for fuel for the colon as well. 
so many people struggle with bloating, bowel issues, brain fog, fatigue. You might not even have any gut issues, but did you know the cause of it could be food sensitivities or gut infections? What I have done is I have brought a talented functional nutritionist into my practice. We have very similar training in the nutritional world. And her name is Alexis Appleberry, who you are hearing on this episode. She is awesome. So you can head on over to our website, Alt, A-L-T, FAM, F-A-M, Med, M-E-D, and have a consultation with her and schedule so that she can help you get to the root cause of your problems. So the lack of a microbiome, and we've kind of touched on that, and, and then the inflammation in the gut was, was about the fourth point that you made. What causes inflammation in the gut? We've, we've touched on food sensitivities. We've touched on food allergies. We've touched on leaky gut a little bit, um, lack of digestive enzymes, um, and lack of microbiome. Is there anything else that causes a lot of inflammation in the gut? Sure. That's a good point. Yes. Um, you could have a bacterial infection. So, you know, let's talk about H. pylori. I mean, you know, 50, 60% of the population has got H. pylori. So it's, it's, it's really prevalent. So having a bacterial infection in your gut, it's really going to, you know, can tear down the gut lining and cause a lot of inflammation or, you know, you could have, you know, a virus as well. And then toxins, right? I mean, let's, let's talk about glyphosate. You know, glyphosate is sprayed on grains to dry them up. And if you're not eating organic, I mean, that alone can cause a lot of damage to the gut. Mm -hmm. That's, those are great points. So we've got toxins, we've got some sort of infection going on, viral infection, et cetera. What have you seen with stress and inflammation? Yeah, that's another good point too. So when you're highly stressed, you release a lot of cortisol and what that does is that, that reduces, that cuts up the blood flow to your gut. And when you're not getting blood flow to the gut, the gut can't operate properly. And so it's that, that alone can cause inflammation in the gut as well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things. So, so I think that again, the tendency is well, then I should just take something for the inflammation, right? Mm -hmm. Right. But you're not getting to the root cause then, mm -hmm. right? So exactly. you, can't, oh, you can't overlook stress. You can't overlook sleep. You can't overlook, you know, overlook other lifestyle factors as well. So that's why, you know, when we put together a program, you know, we make sure that we ask those questions and we add that into the protocol because we're really talking about the whole person here. You know, we're not just trying to give them, you know, take a test and give them some supplements. We're, we're really treating the whole person. So to, to summarize, we have talked about a lot here, and I think that we've condensed a ton of information in a pretty short amount of time. So. I think in my opinion, I think lifestyle changes for most people are the hardest to, to make. If you know we're treating a bacterial infection, people are super compliant with supplements, whatever it is, et cetera. So what are some of the biggest tips the listeners could take home to maybe transition or, or start to work on their gut, maybe from a lifestyle perspective? Well, I think the first thing is to really, you know, be conscious, you know, about the food that you're eating. 
you know, and really plan because, you know, we lead such busy lifestyles that, you know, you can't just, you know, a lot of times we're just grabbing something to eat instead of like really being conscious about what it is that we're eating. So spending some time on the weekend and finding new recipes that are, you know, are low inflammatory foods and just making that a habit. It's really just about habits because, you know, a lot of what we do is just so subconscious that if you just take the time and you slow down and you think about what, you know, what, you know, what, what are really going to be good habits for you, then you can start to incorporate those. And then those become second nature. It's great. That is awesome. Is there anything that we left out or didn't talk about that you think is really important to mention? Um, you know, maybe, we, maybe we could touch on gluten again. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's do that. You know, as some people, I think there was a, you know, I've had people ask me before, I say, well, you know, I'm not allergic to gluten, but, you know, but I don't feel good when I eat it. You know, mm-hmm. why might that be? Well, even if you don't have a sensitivity to gluten, and I would still question that because if someone says they don't have an allergy to gluten, and that means they probably had a test done. Well, not all gluten tests test all of the different proteins within gluten because there's eight of them. So some tests only cover one or two or three. And so they could be getting a false negative there. So that, that's one part of it. But the other thing is, this is gluten is just the most inflammatory food that there is. And every single time that you eat it, it breaks down the gut lining. So gluten is not the same grain that it was 60 years ago. It's been hybridized. It's been changed. It's completely processed. So it's a completely different molecule than it was. And then they spray glyphosate on it to dry it out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it really is poison to the body. Can we break that down a little bit? Because I don't think that maybe folks would understand some of those words, right? So it's not the same grain that it was, right? So um, that means that when it was hybridized, right? I think my understanding of this is the molecule is larger. And so it's completely inflammatory for the gut. They changed it for baking purposes in the US specifically. So you can't even absorb it, which is what causes inflammation. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's okay. correct. And then on top of that, they're spraying not only glyphosate on the crops, but they're also drying it, right? Which you said, which is incredibly toxic and neurotoxin Mm -hmm. um, as well. So here's a a common comment I get. It just had a little gluten. Right. Okay. That's That's a great point. So when it comes to your immune response for gluten, I mean, you could have just a bite of gluten. And it will tear down your gut lining. They've actually tested this within five minutes. Mm-hmm. And then it can take anywhere from two weeks, if you're lucky, all the way up to six months for mm-hmm. that damage to get repaired. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you just have a little bit of gluten and everything's going to be fine, especially if you're highly reactive to it. So you really need to be a hundred percent gluten-free if you really have a problem with it. Have you also seen that it really elevates liver enzymes? If somebody's highly reactive to gluten, have you noticed that? Cause it, it honks up the detoxification pathways. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that can be overlooked. So it creates this inflammatory reaction, et cetera. And then that's going to affect your bile 
<laughs> production as well. Right, right, right. And that's why, you know, when, when, when whatever inflammation is created, it's going to go to wherever your weak spot is. So that's why the symptoms can be different for everybody. So, um, you know, for some people, you know, they, you know, they could, you know, they could get dizzy or not be able to walk straight. So glutenataxia is, you know, is an example of that. So in the way that you can tell if you have glutenataxia is, well, first of all, if you've been consuming gluten is if you close your eyes and take three steps right in front of each other. And if you can't take three steps and you're wobbling all over the place, then chances are you have glutenataxia. So it looks like a sobriety test, right? Yes, pretty much. <laughs> so it completely looks like a sobriety test. So you're doing your own at-home sobriety test. And I think that that was one of the major reasons um, sobriety tests um, in the field, like a breathalyzer test is the gold standard back at the police station because so many people have ataxia for other reasons other than alcohol, right? Because it's affecting the cerebellum. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's really not fair. <laughs> right. So I think that that's why it got thrown out because there are so many. And it's funny because when I'll run neurological tests in my office, you know, at 9 a.m., you know, a huge number of people fail, a huge number. So it's just, I'm like, wow. Right. Well, you know, and here's the thing it's like, you know, neurodegenerative diseases are just exploding in our population. And now we're finding out that there really is an autoimmune response related to that. And I mean, I've, I've seen brain scans where, you know, somebody can continues to consume gluten 15 months later, and you can see the neurological tissue just, just being eaten away, mm -hmm. just, just completely breaking down. Well, we're going to head back to that on our next podcast, a podcast episode with you, because we've got a whole thing that we're going to do around everything brain related and food sensitivities, which I'm super excited about. So with the one other inflammatory food, I feel like folks really dig into and talk about is dairy. So we have mm -hmm. gluten. It's pretty highly inflammatory in when we're speaking about gluten, I just want to make one more point. This is highly debated. So a gluten-free diet is really free of barley, rye, spelt, millet. And then we have the outlier oats. Well, mm. people say, well, I eat gluten-free oats, so I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Other people say, well, you know, it, to be on a clean, true gluten-free diet, it is no oats. But I think that that's kind of the most debated piece. What's your, what's your comment on that? Well, you know, a lot of times those grains are processed together. So there's going to be cross-contamination in there. So, you know, I mean, if somebody is consuming oats, I mean, unless it's really, it's absolutely certified gluten-free, which I think there's only, there's only one or two brands that are really safe. I think Bob's Red Mill might be one of them. But here's the other thing is that a lot of times, you know, people have cross-reactivity, which means that the protein molecule for a particular grain is so similar to gluten that your immune system thinks that it's gluten and you're still getting reactive. So, you know, if you have a highly reactive immune system, you know, I just usually tell people just to go grain free, just to avoid having that response. And then again, supplement with the short chain fatty acids to make sure that you're getting enough of those. So you're not shrinking your microbiome diversity. Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting is I personally don't have a reaction to gluten. I've been off of gluten for, I don't know, the better part of 20 years, but I have a heavy reaction 
to, um, to oats. So regardless, I just don't, I just don't love either of those foods. Just stay away from both of them. It just doesn't, you don't feel good when you eat those foods. Um, but this was funny. I'm also reactive to eggs. So this is hilarious. I'm a backcountry skier and we went out for an objective really early in the morning one day. And I was so nauseous and so dizzy because I, I ate an egg breakfast after not eating eggs for, uh, it's, it's just dumb. Sometimes you forget, right? You forget how badly you react. And um, after not eating eggs for like five years, I thought I was going to die. I had to go back to the car and that takes a lot like, you know, to do wow. that. So I think once you start to bring those foods back in, you can see how highly inflammatory they really are for your system. Sure. So everybody's a little different. So foods that might be good foods. Sure. So let's go into dairy. Dairy is another one that's kind of debated a little bit here. What's mm -hmm. your opinion on the inflammatory nature of dairy and how many folks do you see have food sensitivities associated mm -hmm. with dairy? Well, you know, it's, it's one of the top five. So, I mean, it's right behind gluten as far as, you know, number of people that are reactive to it. And the, the sad thing is, is that, you know, a lot of people that have a gluten issue have a dairy issue as well, because the protein molecule is as different as they seem that they are. The protein molecule is very similar. So a lot of people have reactions to both. And I mean, you know, just homogenizing the dairy and being, being pasteurized it's just really unhealthy. And then, you know, the hormones that are in it. So there are some people that can consume dairy if it's, if it's organic and it's raw, like I can, you can get some sources from Europe, um, you know, but it's just another one of those really, you know, highly processed foods. And a lot of people are really reactive to it. Do you think goat or sheep, sheep dairy tends to be any better? For some people, yeah, it does. It does seem to be less reactive for them. So that can't be an option for some people. Awesome. So we have covered dairy. We have covered gluten. What do you think is the third most reactive food in the system? Um, eggs. <laughs> say it's, it's eggs, eggs, eggs and soy. So a lot mm -hmm. of people are reactive to that as well. And usually they're more reactive to the egg white than the egg yolk. So there are some people that can, that can eat egg yolks, but not eat egg whites. And then again, you know, we talk about the testing, um, you know, you've got to test both raw and cooked eggs, or, you know, you might get a false negative. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for going through all of this and, you know, touching base on everything about this. Your information has been so wonderful. So thank you so much for, for touching on all this. Anything we need to add before we sign off that I missed? Uh, no, I don't think so. Thanks so much for having me. This has really been a lot of fun. Totally. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Gut Health Reset Podcast. Please make sure you subscribe, leave a rating and a review so more people can hear about the podcast. And hey, take a screenshot of this episode and tag Dr. Anne Marie on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Anne Marie Barter. And for more resources, just visit DrAnneMarieBarter.com.